Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. So it's not a sin in your church to have an abortion? That's the kind of conversation we would have finding out your story, where you're from. God's the judge. People have to live to their own conviction. The science is clear. The Bible is clear. And if we're honest, our intuitions are clear. We know what we're killing. We're killing a human being. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Wow, some things never change. The coffee around here is wicked. Got a coffee pot for Christmas. Ah. Mrs. Friel heard me lamenting that we've got a 12-cupper, and we never make that much, but we can't see the markings on the side of the cup of the coffee pot maker. So she got me a new coffee maker that actually has a smaller pot so we know exactly how much coffee to make every morning. That was thoughtful. Mm -hmm. You know the show started? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm sorry. Most people come back to work after a week off for Christmas vacation. And what do they do? Hey, how was your Christmas, Jimmy? Anything exciting happened when you went back home to Tennessee? But no, it's time to start the show, Todd. <laughs> fine, just fine. This is Wretched Radio. How was your How was your big journey to Tennessee, by the way? It was okay. It was. You preached. I did preach for Christmas Eve day. No, what did the, What did that yeah, church was, do? This is a. Did you follow the kerfuffle that happens? Well, kerfuffle confusion that is debated online regarding churches. What should we do for church on Sunday? Because it's Christmas Eve. I don't know. (laughs) Go church. That's right. And if you want to do a Christmas Eve service, which is a bonus, it is not a mandated service. But if you want to do that service, then do that too. So you preached in the morning? I did. I did. And what about the evening? I did not. I don't think they had service that Oh, evening. those heretics. <laughs> no. Oh. oh. And you preached on Simeon. I did. And how did it go? It went good. It went really good. I'm a little long-winded, you know. So. Ooh, how long did we go? <sighs> you really want me to tell you? All right. Let's brace yourselves. What was it? <laughs> 62 minutes. Oh, dude. I know it. Dude. But here's dude. the thing. <laughs> I changed some stuff. I originally preached his sermon two years ago. And uh, it wasn't at Christmas time. So I had to change some things. And when I did that, I did not, like I normally do, preach through it before I preach it. I did not do that. Mm. And, uh, well, it was longer than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm probably not going back anytime soon. <laughs> any questions for me about Christmas Eve church service? Yeah. How, how, how did Alfred? Oh, well, thanks for remembering. We had our first church <laughs> services for Christmas Eve. Yeah. How'd it go? It was. <laughs> you know, it's, um, you, I'm the wrong person to ask. How did it go? I was the preacher. So, of course, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> But the key is the look on people's faces and returning to your pew. Um, I'm sorry, reclining chair. How does your family look at you? Oh, dad, 62 minutes. Or you kind of you landed the plane safely. Thanks for the journey. It was it was rather brief. It went. I mm, you, mm, all I know is that we were reminded that Jesus Christ is an amazing king. The prophecy in Matthew chapter 2, we're, we're making our way through the book of Matthew, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating book because it is a st- 
stark reminder of the necessity of the Old Testament. The book of Matthew begins, book doesn't have a definite article, although it would be natural to add one, book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. So it's it's not just the genealogy of Jesus. It's the book of the genealogy of Jesus. And even though it's just the first 13 verses that literally trace the lineage of Jesus through his legal, not birth, his legal father, Joseph, back to David, thus fulfilling the promise to David, you're going to have a king. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to rule forever, 2 Samuel 7. It takes us back to Abraham. Why? Because in Genesis 12 and 15 and 18 and 20, there's a seed promised. And Matthew wants you to know loudly and clearly, Jesus Christ came through the seed of a woman. That was the, it's a strange promise that God gives to Eve in the, in the book of Genesis, because the seed doesn't come through the woman. It comes through the man. And that, by the way, is the sin transference. That's that's how you're born, totally depraved. Thanks, Bob. Joseph wasn't the biological father. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. If there is ever an immaculate conception, that would be it. Not Mary's, the conception of Jesus Christ. We see fully God, fully man, because we need that kind of a savior. We need a representative who's fully man, and we need a sacrifice who can appease the wrath of the Father, fully God. And that is precisely what gets presented to us in Matthew chapter 1 after about 13 verses on the genealogy. But please note, remember, the entire book of Matthew is about the genealogy of Jesus. You say, well, how does he do that if he doesn't say, XYZ begat ABC, who begat DEF? And the answer is, Matthew is constantly calling back, hearkening to the Old Testament. See see that back there? That's actually a picture of this. Twelve times he says that this might be fulfilled. This happened. That Jesus was born there. That Jesus Christ was of the lineage of David, of Judah, that Jesus Christ would be called a Nazarene 12 times, but 60 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew hearkens back to the Old Testament to go, see, this is this is Jesus. This is this, this is your king. He's connected to the Old Testament and he has every right to rule, which is what the Gospel of Matthew is about the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, to show that Jesus Christ is king. And I know perhaps as an American, you're not nuts about the idea of having a king, but you got one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I don't mind telling you as we enter into a year, here's here's my big prediction for 2024, more acrimony and division among good Christian men and women over politics. Maybe just maybe this classic will help us remember of Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, and he is the one who is the prophesied, Micah 5, 4, ruler, shepherd. In other words, the tender, loving, nurturing shepherd who is also the king with an iron scepter. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. 
He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That is our king as we enter into 2024. Despite the topsy-turvy year that awaits us, don't worry, Jesus is still king. Thanks for asking about Christmas Eve services, Jimmy. You're welcome. This is Wretched Radio. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked, and I said, in, in American currency, how much does it cost? 
to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month, so every single week. What what's the what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes. They get treats. They get materials that they learn the Bible. They memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? Hey, thanks so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate each and every one of you who tune in on a daily basis. And we thank all of our gospel partners. We thank you for an amazing 2023, an amazing 2022, 2021, 2020, and all of the years prior. But hey, 2024 is going to be our biggest and best year yet. And we have some amazing announcements we're not quite yet ready to make that will impact so much about this ministry and the amount of people that we are able to reach. So if you would like to become an ongoing monthly gospel partner, if you've been thinking about it, you've been praying about it, we would love for you to join us in this effort right now. You can get all the answers to all of the questions that you likely have right now at wretched.org slash donate. That's wretched.org slash donate donate. 2024 is here, folks, and it is going to be the biggest and best and most wretched year yet. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. The sonogram or the the pictures that are taken of babies, still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Preborn Ministries and their network clinics, they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something. It's $28 an ultrasound. And just as you heard Governor DeSantis say, his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat would you please consider supporting preborn it's a great ministry of life it has a high anthropology shares the gospel with women and with the dads preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched books of the bible Ezekiel was a prophet and priest in Israel. The language in the book of Ezekiel is often symbolic and figurative, but the message is clear. God rules over and judges men and nations. When you are tempted by sin, Ezekiel reminds us that God is holy and has called his people to holiness. He will go to great lengths to purge evil from among them. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's go! To Great Britain! Shall we? <laughs> this is Wretched Radio. Congratulations to the Empire, formerly known as Great, for the first time in its 1500 year history. Christianity is no longer the majority religion. Uh-oh, that's got some implications. You and I, as Bible-believing Christians, understand true and false conversions, wise virgins, foolish virgins, that just because somebody says they're a Christian, that doesn't mean that they are. We know that. Nevertheless, the 2021 census, which is now just being tabulated, reveals 
that less than half of Britons identify as being Christian, despite the fact the Church of England is the national church of Great Britain, led by its titular, that's right, I said titular head, King Charles, who delivered, hmm, should we call it a Christmas address, or should we call it a ecumenical bowl of pottage, trying to make every religion happy, having nothing distinctly Christian, talking nothing about Jesus Christ being born in a manger to die for sinners. How do you miss that? How do you, how do you, how do you biff the Christmas story? Oh, yeah. You have more concern about sharing, volunteering, and global warming. Service also lies at the heart of the Christmas story. By the way, yes, I do have this at 1.75 speed. We've got things to do around here. Service lies at the heart of the Christmas story. Um, In that, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. I'm down with that. The birth of Jesus who came to serve the whole world. No, 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 no. He didn't come to serve the whole world. He came to serve and to die for sinners. Doing us by his own example, how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Nope, that was not his mission. Jesus was not on a moral crusade. I'm the standard bearer, look like me, or Gandhi, or Buddha, or Oprah. Whichever you prefer, just pick one of us because I'm just like them. Throughout the year, my family have witnessed how people of all ages are making a difference to their communities. This is all the more important at a time a real hardship for many when we need to build on existing ways to support others less fortunate than ourselves. Because out of God's providence, we are blessed with much, and it is incumbent on us to use this wisely. Isn't it interesting, Jimmy? The Christmas message has devolved into Charles's hobby horses, but you slap the word like divine in there, providence, and it keeps it religious enough without actually being, you know, Christian. However, service to others is but one way of honoring the whole of creation which, after all, is a manifestation of the divine. This is a belief shared by all religions. To care for this creation is a responsibility owned by people of all faiths and of none. We care for the earth for the sake of our children's children. During my lifetime, I've been so pleased to see a growing awareness of how we must protect the earth and our natural world as the one home which we all share. I find great inspiration now from the way so many people recognize this. Hey, Jimmy, was it, did you, did you mess with my files? I thought we were playing the Christmas message from the titular. (laughs) Head of the Church of England, because this suddenly, uh, we just we just went to planting trees. I don't know how we got there <laughs> exactly. Some story, which tells us that angels brought the message of hope first to shepherds. These were people who lived simply amongst others of God's creatures. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so shepherds are our environmental standard bearers. Okay, okay, that's a different way of reading the narrative. Jesus Christ is our shepherd king. Shepherds are such an important detail in the Christmas story, not just because they were the one to hear the announcement of the angels, but because Jesus Christ, according to Micah 5.4, being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, is the ruler, there's your mighty potentate, powerful, omnipotent, who rules with a scepter of iron, who will shepherd my people. What's a shepherd? Well, he's one who makes sure that if it's possible, he'll just eat vegetarian and make sure that he plants a tree just in case a sheep ate too much grass. No, that's not what a shepherd was. He cared for the sheep. He knew them by name. 
He called them. And our good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, which is the message of Christmas with all due respect to the new king. Those close to nature were privileged that night. And at a time of increasingly tragic conflict around the world, (laughs) I pray that we can also do all in our power to protect each other. The words of Jesus seem more than ever relevant. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Such values are universal, drawing together our Abrahamic family of religions and other belief systems across the Commonwealth and wider world. Oh, he, almost, he almost had something exclusively from Jesus, but then he just spread it out like a fertilizer spreader to every religion. They remind us to imagine ourselves in the shoes of our neighbors and to seek their good as we would our own. So on this Christmas Day, my heart and my thanks go to all who are serving one another, all who are caring for our common home, and all who see and seek the good of others, not least the friend we do not yet know. In this way, we bring out the best in ourselves. I wish you a Christmas of peace on earth and goodwill to all, today and always. Mm. Let me take you now to Oxford. There's a new rating system for local churches surrounding this formerly Christian institution. An academic center that the world looks up to now has a group of students that go out to churches to determine with a rating system, one through five, if that church is safe or not. You guessed it. What makes a church safe? Well, if they're number, if they're a number five, they fully endorse all things LGBTQ. And they've got to vocalize it and put it in writing and prove it by putting it into practice. That church is safe. Well, that church actually isn't a church any longer. But now in Great Britain... We now have a rating system for what churches are safe and what churches aren't. number of people sent this to me, idea at wretched.org. Al Mohler covered it in the briefing, I think, a couple of times. Here's level one. You should know this, dear Christian. It's happening in Oxford, and you say, well, that ain't never going to happen here. We're not in England. It's, It's going to, because this will catch on, and courtesy of social media, it will be like wildfire, and you can anticipate your church getting raided. What's a number one? This particular church, St. Ebbs, and their leadership are outspoken in their beliefs on the impurity of same-sex marriage, relationships, and LGBTQ plus identity. There will be an expectation to remain celibate and as, and as your gender assigned at birth. <laughs> And this will be expectation to remain celibate. Uh, This will be supplemented by guidance, prayer, and teaching as shown by their indirect support for conversion therapy. So this church is a number one. That probably describes your church. You're a number one. Skipping number two, here's number three. In this church, it's likely that sexuality and relationships of any kind are not mentioned. Although heterosexuality in cisgendered experience is the passively assumed norm. So you don't even have to say that that LGBTQ is sinful. You don't even need to say that heteronormativity is the norm. Nope, you don't talk about it. You're a number three. That's still in the warning zone. You're considered an amber color. The minister may be personally either unsure of their theological stance on matters relating to LGBT, etc. They may be personally affirming when asked about, but disciplined to speak publicly about it. Oh, that's a number three. 
Here's a number four. This is a church where there's at least some public support where LGBTQ plus people are probably a specific public welcome. Um, a good church welcomes everybody. This has nothing to do with welcoming. A number one church could stand at the door with tea and biscuits. I think that's what people in Great Britain like. And that wouldn't be welcoming enough. You have to affirm. It's not about being welcoming. It's about affirming and applauding. Here's a number four. Leaders are likely to be prepared to voice their affirmation and may occasionally preach or write a blog or magazine article to explain their theological position. There might even be some LGBT people in the congregation, maybe even in leadership, agencies and resources which offer LGBT people support and allyship may be linked to and promoted. But that's not enough either. A number five is probably a church which has internalized a queer identity. It may be that a large number of people attend, gay people attend, or even started or leave the church. Straight and cis people attend as part of the diversity of the church rather than the assumed norm. If someone were to speak against inclusivity, others would be very likely to defend it. LGBTQ relationships and milestones are publicly celebrated. Oh, Great Britain and the Church of England is now raiding churches based on their, their abandonment of scripture. And it shouldn't come as a shocker when the titular head of the Church of England doesn't consider the Bible to be his authority either. Does this have long-term impacts for what was once a magnificent empire? Oh, we, we, we haven't even begun to see the rubble that this new statistic reveals will be happening right before our very eyes. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I am Jimmy Hicks. We start today with a win for religious freedom after a school district in Tennessee has paid out thousands to a Christian teen that they suspended over a faith-based shirt. Administrators sent the 14-year-old girl home for wearing a hoodie that said homosexuality is a sin. And she sued with help from legal nonprofits. After losing in court, the school district not only reversed her disciplinary record, which it should have, they also provided a monetary settlement, which they also should have. Small win, but a very important one for the constitutional rights of students versus politically correct censorship. And news from higher education, I really don't know how much longer we can call this higher education, but news from Harvard nonetheless, the president of Harvard has finally resigned after mounting criticism over several scandals. Claudine Gay, the Ivy League school's first black female president, claimed racial animus fueled all the opposition to her radical equity agenda. I don't know that I would call it racial animus more so than a lot of woke stuff that people just didn't buy into because the applicant rates, well, they plunged since she took over. And that's only been for the last 18 months at the helm. She now flees the smoldering wreckage that was wrought on by her own ideological engineering, though with a golden parachute awaiting her. She'll find some safe harbor somewhere, likely among equally unaccountable elites. 
Well, out west in California, that state continues to aggressively sexualize school kids through what they call sensitivity programs. The latest brainwashing features animated films that showcase child transgenderism and puberty blockers as something that's heroic. Critics are blasting the quote-unquote well-being resources for grooming minors via emotionally manipulative propaganda. That's exactly what it is. But state health officials are defending the LGBT-laced mental health content per new statewide mandates. Get ready for spikes in gender dysphoria as activists are sinking their claws deeper and deeper and deeper to young, impressionable audiences. On a positive note, Christian actor Dean Cain has recently exited Hollywood, saying that he's going to focus on producing faith-based films instead. Cain says that he has grown exhausted with Hollywood's constant attacks on traditional values, and now he's going to use his platform to create uplifting stories that reinforce biblical principles good for him. And finally, despite waning Christianity in Western culture, the Bible again tops the annual bestsellers list. Nearly 10 million copies moved last year, according to recent data. Just another sign that when chaos abounds, people are instinctively reaching for the wisdom of God's Word. Let's pray that more and more of those people reach for the wisdom of God's Word, even when chaos isn't abound. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the physician. Jesus healed many physical ailments during his ministry on earth. When he comes again, he will put an end to death and disease and give us spiritual bodies to last for eternity. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, Jimmy. Yes. You don't have to whisper, too. Oh, okay. I'm the secretive one. Psst, hey, Jimmy. Yes. Was I a little crabby toward the king in that last segment? Mm, not enough. <laughs> I see. <laughs> this is Wretched Radio. Well, I was listening to myself because it kind of echoes around in there. Just ping pongs all over the place. It's got tons of room to do that. And I thought I'm, I'm being a little, um, I think I sound agitated toward the king's address. And the reality is I am, because he's talking about the birth of God in flesh. He's talking about Christmas, and he broad brushes it to make it akin to every other religion. Look at all the similarities we have. It's just about doing good unto others and saving the planet. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit more jealous for my Savior and how people use him. And we see that. Was just reading. Okay, there was there was there was a lengthy article. I might be able to find it here. Uh, that Christmas music, the top fifty Christmas songs this year had one religious song in it. So, how, however, Billboard does this when they go about the business of identifying who gets played the most or downloads or listens. Uh, the overwhelming majority are secular. Mariah Carey is being heard more than Oh Holy Night. Although she did sing that. It was kind of a caterwauling sort of affair. But nevertheless, religious music, it's that's like, why do we need that? We need, we need Burl Ives singing his holly jolly Christmas song and Frosty the Snowman. I'm sorry. Back off of my holiday. You have no business calling it Christmas 
You have no business being involved in in the event that changed history, which, by the way, Jimmy, what would be your guess as to the year that Jesus Christ was born? The year he was born. Correct, sir. (sighs) You want to say zero, don't you? Because that's kind of how the calendar works. Well, 2000 B.C. I, I don't know. That'd be closer to Abraham. About no, 33. I mean, I mean, yeah, 33 BC. That was it. 33. Well, that was that was when we would say that was the crucifixion, but probably not. If we were, I mean, if we were, if we we're going to go back and fix the calendar, the reason that zero is probably no, it's definitely not the birth date of Jesus, is because King Herod was still alive, and we know from historical documentation he died in 4 BC. And so Jesus was likely born in the fifth, maybe even the sixth year before the calendar flipped. Because you remember King Herod, and being afraid he was going to lose some of his royal authority, heard about this newborn king being born from some magi from the east, said, going to have to clean this up a little bit. So he sends people to slaughter the innocents, kids under the age of two. So what year was Jesus born? I think it's safe to say somewhere between 4 and 6 B.C. By the way, this is from memory, so please offer me some grace on this. Herod, at the age of 25, was installed as the governor of Galilee. I believe that was in 47. I think he served there for about 10 years, but then he was appointed the king of Judea. In 37 BC, died in 4 BC. He started his temple project in 20 BC. It was not completed until 63 AD, so he didn't even get to see that bad boy completed. King Herod's problem regarding succession was, you know, having 10 wives and a number of wills. It's Game of Thrones time. Who's in authority? Who has the power? There was a lot of battling that took place. And so from 4 to 6, from 4 B.C. to 6 A.D., it was, I want to say, Archelaus. He had 3,000 people massacred at Passover. Rome determined, you're a stinker. And so they removed him, and they put his brother in his place, Antipas. And we read about these people in the Bible. And you read about Agrippa I, Agrippa II, who succeeded Antipas, who followed his brother Archelaus, who followed his father Herod. They're all in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Paul appeared before him, before Agrippa II, I believe. Peter was, 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 Jesus was even brought before a Herodian leader when Pilate said, I'm going to send him over uh, to Antipas because I'm going to put him on trial there too. And let's see if this maybe can forge a friendship between the two of us because we're typically at odds. In other words, I hope I didn't get any of those names wrong. In other words, the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible isn't off. It, it, it doesn't say something like the king, um, Shemp, King Shemp, what, what brought Jesus on trial because there wasn't a King Shemp. But there was a Herodian king, and the Bible identifies those kings. Was it King Agrippa, or was it Antipas, who received worship, I think in Acts chapter 12, received worship from people because they thought he was a god, 
And God killed him with worms. <laughs> Which, by the way, not that Jimmy asked or anything. That was what the New Year's Eve day service was about at our little startup church in Alpharetta, Georgia, uh -huh. called Alpharetta Bible Church. It was, well, it was about the king being born. There's a contrast in Matthew chapter 2. Look for repetition. Always look for repetition. Okay, I'm going to make it obnoxious because, well, that's my spiritual gift. But nevertheless, I'm just going to slam some of the words here because Matthew's trying to make a point. When you see repetition, and for instance, when you see Paul give a long list, height, nor depth, breadth, length, nothing, principalities, power, nothing can separate. He's trying to emphatically state nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 2, we see repetition that we shouldn't be surprised at because Matthew wrote this book to prove that Jesus Christ is king. So here's Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. Uh, if you're interested, the Magi astrologers, they were almost like the Greek philosophers of Arabia. They read the stars. There was a general expectation, even among secular philosophers, that there was going to come a ruler from the east. Maybe these magi informed that we meet, by the way, in Daniel chapter 9, maybe they had an Old Testament and they knew that a star was going to shine and it numbers something. Just look, the whole book is interesting. The book of Numbers is really hard. But the point is, they perhaps read their Old Testament and realized, hey, there's a ruler coming. Let's go worship this one. So they brought, of course, their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. And he gathered all the chief priests. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said in Bethlehem and Judea to fulfill what was written, that in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, not the least, for out of you shall come a ruler, shepherd my people Israel. And then later, verse 9, when they heard the king, they depart. What's up with that? What is, what is up with the repetition? Matthew is painting a contrast and comparison. Well, there's really no comparison. It's only contrast between King Herod and King Jesus. And King Herod, if he is anything, is antichrist to the core. The dude had his mother-in-law imprisoned and executed. He had his, I think it was his first wife executed for what he thought was disloyalty. He had people drowned. I think it's the fellow's name who's from the Hasmonean dynasty, Aristobulus. He, he was an enemy. And Herod befriended him, became a pal, and on a hot summer day in Jerusalem said, why don't we go swimming? And unfortunately, there was some rough housing, and the guy's head got held underwater for too long. So what did Herod do to cover his tracks? Threw a magnificent funeral for his enemy. This, this was King Herod. And it's a contrast to King Jesus. Herod represents Satan. Jesus is God. Which king are you going to choose? Who are you going to give your worship to? Who will you obey? The Magi, they obeyed God. Don't go back to the king. Stay away from it. They obeyed as an act of worship. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And by the way, 
People argue about what's the symbolism of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't think Matthew would have included it if there weren't a reason for it. It's too detailed to have no meaning whatsoever. So gold royalty, frankincense, priestly anointing. But then you've got myrrh for burial anointing. And when you scoot then to Matthew 26 neighborhood, what do we see? Jesus' feet getting anointed, or his head actually getting anointed with myrrh to prepare him for burial. John, 17-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe 19. He brought a hundred pounds of myrrh to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. You got a choice. You, you can worship a satanic king, Satan himself, or you can worship and obey the shepherd king. Seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? This is Wretched Radio. Have you ever felt like you're on an emotional roller coaster? It's okay to admit it because we've all been there and some of us are there now. Well, saddle up, buckle up, strap up, whatever it is you prefer. Just tune in to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. It's the podcast you quite possibly have been waiting for because it's the place where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear come face to face with the Bible. And don't expect Dr. Gifford to just read scripture. No, he wrestles with it and applies it to challenges we all face. Trust me, this podcast, it's a game changer. And it must be for me to say game changer because I loathe that phrase. But that's exactly what Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford is. It'll help you and it will empower you to help others too. You'll be throwing out biblical wisdom like you're in Solomon's Court. New episodes, they drop every Saturday morning at transform.org slash podcast or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Trust me, You'll be glad you listened. If you are one of the people who supported our joint effort with the Master's Academy International to get Bibles into the hands of people, you're going to hear a thank you letter from May that perhaps will encourage you that what you did was a very good and lasting thing. I'm one of the recipients of the MacArthur Study Bible, so generously given with the help of gospel partners. This will help me in my daily study of God's Word and will inform, instruct, inspire me in my walk with the Lord as well as my service to the Lord in my family and my church ministries. How encouraging is that? By the way, if you're not plugged into the Master's Academy International, everything is about long-lasting impact. They train pastors in 18, 19 countries and many seminaries around the globe so that pastors can fill empty pulpits and preach. That makes a generational difference. You can learn more about the Master's Academy at wretched.org slash Bible, or if you prefer, wretched.org slash pastor. 2024 is a crucial election year. The sanctity of life is at the forefront. And while we do celebrate the overturning of Roe, we cannot ignore the surge of pro-choice voices. They are persuasive, but we can and should be more convincing. We have to stand firm, not only in our beliefs, but also in the understanding of the gospel to change hearts and minds. Pro-choice advocates rally voters with misleading arguments. And as Christians, it is our duty to counter these narratives with truth, and compassion. Remember, this is not only about politics. It's about protecting the lives of the unborn. The debate has shifted to when instead of should, and now it's time to refocus this conversation. Equip your family and your church with Life is Best, a 13-lesson series that's not just powerful, but a call to action. Order your free digital download and streaming version from the Wretched Store right now. It's available for free during the month of January. You have until January 31st, and we, together, 
can make a difference. Hermeneutics. The Bible is not a manual. While it should be read literally, the books fit into a variety of genres, including narrative, poetry, prophecy, and epistle. How we understand and apply scripture begins with identifying what genre we are reading. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, Jimmy. With whom did you celebrate Christmas this year? My family. Oh, don't say that. So who did he open presents with? My wife. No, don't say that. Was there anybody else in the room? My my kids? No, 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 no. What am I doing? You're breaking the new commandment that what? you can't identify anything that is normal. This is <laughs> Wretched Radio. Great Britain, the Methodist Church, says the term husband and wife are offensive. Now, want to be careful with this because obviously Christians don't want to be unnecessarily offensive. But simply using language to identify what we all observe in reality, that's not offensive, but this is the modus operandi, at least one of them, of the progressive movement. If you can find an exception to the rule, then the rule has to go. And that goes for terms like husband and wife. The Methodist Church is slapping down this postmodern card to make sure that nobody is ever offended about anything. Well, except, of course, the people who are offended that you're not using the term husband. No, we can offend them. But, hey, every rule has exceptions, don't you know? The Methodist Church has claimed that ministers, this is from the Christian Institute, should avoid using the terms husband and wife because it conveys an assumption that is not the reality for many people. So, some people aren't married. They don't have a husband or wife. So, don't use those terms. We see this all the time, don't we? That if you identify, you can't, you can't celebrate Mother's Day at school because there are some kids who don't have a mother. Now, again, we want to be sensitive and thoughtful, but to, to deconstruct everything that is good and right because some people don't participate underneath that particular moniker, uh, well, that's, that's just deconstructionism. That is tearing down everything, and that's exactly what we're seeing. The denomination made the statement in its inclusive language guide which will be updated every six months. <laughs> hey, it ain't easy being politically correct. You might find some other people who are offended by something. And advise congregations how to repent of any hurtful language when addressing groups which have been marginalized and or demonized by common culture. The Methodist Church, Great Britain, uh, do you hear that swirling sound? It's a large denomination going right down the drain. The guidance argued that relationships come in many and varied expressions. And using the term parent, partner, and child are a good place to start. So, Jimmy, congratulations. You don't have kids anymore. I don't know what those carbon-14 units are doing in your house. <laughs> Eating a lot, I suspect. But you don't have children anymore. No more sons for you, sir. Okay. And as far as that... W-I-F-E of yours. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. What about her? You, 
you don't have one anymore because <laughs> oh, there are people who don't. How dare you? Do it's, I, it's privileged. Well, can you even call me an employee anymore? Because there's some people that don't have jobs. <laughs> so I can't. And where does it end? <laughs> the answer right. is it never ends. C.S. Lewis writing back in 1946. This was a Christmas sermon. Now, putting your your issues with C.S. Lewis aside, this is 1946, and we are seeing it in full bloom today in 2024. I remember partying like it was 1999, and here we are. It's 2024. This is what he said. As for the ideologies, the new invented wrongs and rights, does no one see the catch? If there is no real wrong and right, nothing good or bad in itself, none of these ideologies can be better or worse than another. How contemporary does that sound? I've said that. I never. I didn't read this from Lewis. I've said that on campuses like a gazillion times. If there is no, this is this is 1946. Postmodernism was afoot for centuries. If there is no objective standard, then our choice between one ideology and another becomes a matter of arbitrary taste. Our battle for democratic ideals against Nazi ideals has been a waste of time because the one is no better than the other. And you know what? People these days would say, yeah, what's the problem? That's right. Is that's why we're protesting Hamas. I think in Australia, they were, they were literally doing a Christmas event to raise money for blind children. And the pro-Hamas marchers, like, wrecked it. <sighs> what is that? And that's, that's, that's CRT in action. And, and C.S. Lewis in 1946 saw it coming. Nor can there ever be any real improvement or deterioration. If there is no real goal, you can't get either nearer to it or farther from it. In fact, there's no real reason for doing anything at all. Reading from the National Review, A Brief Christmas Theology, he quotes G.K. Chesterton, who died in 1936. The difficulty that ensues when people cease to believe in God is not that they believe in nothing, but that they believe in anything. Particular article traces how this made its way into the church, and you could argue pretty forcefully, postmodernism didn't make its way into the church. The church contributed to postmodernism ever since Emerson, Thoreau, and Whitman, and even before Nietzsche, who read Emerson. Every man or woman seems to be his own or her own Messiah. A little Latin for you. Amor sui usque, ad contemptum boni, love of self, even under un, unto the contempt of the good. You, you, you. It's all about you. And if it doesn't make you happy, then you have every right to revolt and cast off the shackles of oppression. There is nothing authoritative that is conceived to be anterior, exterior, or superior to the self. Have you been wondering why the college football empire is starting to show signs of fracturing and fissuring? Now, I don't know how much you follow football, but Georgia, 
got ripped off. Georgia game against Florida State and trounced them 63 to 3. And the reason was it was either 27 or 29 of their, their star players. They opted out. They could get into what is called the funnel to say, I want to go to another school. And because this is a non-playoff bowl game, because these days it's got like Larry's Corner Barbershop Bowl that gets played in Tucson, Arizona. If it's not, if it's a non-playoff bowl, you don't have to participate. Furthermore, the kids were upset that whoever the gurus are that determine who gets ranked what didn't pick Florida State, who was 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 defeatless. They they had a totally total winning season. What is it? Uh, defeat uh, uh, they, undefeated. That's the word I was looking for right there. <laughs> I'm just Jimmy. I think by this time you know. Sometimes I just go all stupid to make sure you're still actually listening to the program you produce. And I did, it's a favor. And I didn't say earlier, but the funnel is actually the portal. The portal. Look up the word portal. Okay. And just see if, well, portal would, okay, it's got the word porta. Uh, so it's probably, is it porta? Um, it's gate or door. But what does a door lead to? A funnel. There you have it. Let's move on, <laughs> shall we? That the the players are are acting on behalf of their own self interests. So I see Florida, the the almost thirty kids opting out is just another fruit of what was being described and what was being taught decades ago. It's about you, Daddy O. It's not about your school. It's not about your colors. You can jump into the portal, which gets you into a funnel that takes you to a new school. And you can do it every single year because you got to get to the school that has the, the ability for you to make some money. By the way, there's still something awfully suspicious about that whole NEI business or NI, NIL L, name, L. image, likeness. Just once again, I'm paying you attention. make sure because... <laughs> You know, when I'm done with this program, I go to do sports talk. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That's where you go. So name, image, likeness, they can be offered money. I don't know how that those strings get pulled. And they take the offer and they abandon their school to get trounced by Georgia. Even Kirby Smart went, this is bad. This has got to get fixed. And I say, it is nothing but a, a fruit of the postmodern root, which goes back to Protestant. Think of names like Tillage and Bultmann, and Schleiermacher. These are German theologians that were so progressive and so liberal, and they played right along with secularists who determined the highest ideal, the greatest goal that you can achieve is self-gratification. And nobody should get in the way of that. That's, that's what you're seeing in football. It was inevitable. And you can anticipate that that's going to happen with legislation. We're already seeing that, aren't we? We see that with the homeless people. Got to let them live on the street. Got to let a woman have the right to do with their body what she wants to do. All of it, it goes back centuries. And it didn't just come into the church. It was already there. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>